This fire engineering podcast is brought to you by Demir's Ambulances. Demir's is one of the largest firms in North America and is the Canadian leader in ambulance design, manufacture, and distribution. At Demir's, they never compromise. In saving lives, there is no good enough. That's why their ambulances are designed for safety and come loaded with innovative features that help you excel at your job. Their testing exceeds North American safety standards, and they provide the lowest cost of ownership in the industry. To learn more about them, go to demirs-ambulances.com. Is your fire department prepared to face challenges like the turbulent economy, recruiting and retention, and funding? Level up and get the training and strategies you need on the issues that matter most at Wave 2023. Featuring ESO Training Academy on April 11th through the 14th, 2023 in Austin, Texas. ESO, a leading provider of fire RMS and EPCR software, brings together national industry leaders, quality training, and experienced fire and EMS professionals for a unique conference experience that will inspire you to drive change within your organization and prepare for 2023's challenges. For a limited time, our listeners can use the discount code FIRETRUCK to save $100 on a full four-day conference pass. Don't miss this opportunity to learn from some of the nation's top experts in emergency services. Visit ESOWave.com to register today. That's E-S-O-W-A-V-E dot com. See you in Austin on April 11th through the 14th, 2023. This fire engineering podcast is made possible by Tenkata Protective Fabrics. The global leader in flame-resistant fabrics, Tenkata Protective Fabrics enables millions of people worldwide to be great at what they do. Generations of industry professionals serving in the fire service, industrial, and military industries rely on Tenkata Fabrics for safety, comfort, and confidence. From the harshest working conditions to the welcoming site of home, Tenkata recognizes the people they're protecting are unique individuals whose lives extend beyond work. Supporting a world of evolving needs, Tenkata's innovations lead the way in user-centric design, technology, and sustainability around the globe. To learn more, please visit TenkataFabrics.com. Greetings and welcome to the Women in Fire radio show. Today we will be discussing assessment centers. Thank you to Fire Engineering for allowing Women in Fire to be a part of their radio show series. I'm Lisa Baker. I'm the Southwestern Trustee for Women in Fire. I'm also a retired battalion chief in the City of Oakland Fire Department. Today I have Heidi Simon, who is a lieutenant from the South Metro Fire Department, which is in the Denver, Colorado area. Welcome, Heidi. Thank you. So what is an assessment center? So a lot of times you'll hear people say, I'm going to an assessment center, but an assessment center isn't a location, it's a process. So most agencies use an assessment center in order to assess members, the member's ability to perform the position that they're aspiring to be. So if you want to be a driver, operator, engineer, company officer, which would include lieutenant, captain, battalion chief, and a lot of departments now are starting to use them for deputy chief and above. So an assessment center, like I mentioned, is a process and it's used to evaluate candidates for a promotion. It's designed to evaluate your level of competence for the position that you're testing for. So obviously if you're testing for a 
lieutenant's position. It's not going to have battalion chief level situations on that. And assessment centers, they've been proven to be effective ways of testing the knowledge of the candidates. And like I said, they measure job-related behaviors. They're standardized, so they're fair to everybody. Everyone's doing the same test. They're all, everyone's being graded on the same dimensions, which um, Heidi's going to go into in a minute about what the dimensions are. And each each exercise measures the knowledge, skills, and abilities, which you've probably heard as KSAs, as well as personal characteristics, and they've been proven to be effective. So what actually happens during assessment center is candidates participate in job-related exercises in which assessors grade your performance using standardized grading forms. And that's another reason why they're fair to everybody. Everyone's being graded on the same um, grading criteria. And so... You might be wondering how an assessment center is developed and they're developed through generally through a company and Heidi will go into that also when she's going over dimensions, but a job analysis is developed that asks members that are currently in the rank being tested a series of questions that pertain to the job. They're based on the, that are based on the position. It asks how often they perform a particular task and the function and how important it is. Heidi, have you ever participated in a job analysis before? Um, I've been a subject matter expert, so we call the SME, uh, for specific portions of our testing process. I didn't actually do the job analysis, but we did participate in um, making sure that what the company chose was actually appropriate um, testing matter for what we do on a daily basis. Okay. So what the job analysis does, it asks a member the knowledge, if the, it asks a question and it asks, do you need this knowledge prior to your promotion or is it something that can be taught in a class or on the job? And then job descriptions are reviewed and interviews are conducted with fire department officials to determine which exercise they want the candidates to be tested on, which Heidi just um, talked about. So once it's determined what exercises are going to be used then the test is developed. And because of that, it's really important that someone that's going to go through an assessment center knows your agency's policy and procedure, standard operating guidelines and rules and regulations. Heidi, do you want to talk about that for a minute? Um, why it's so important that you know your policy and procedure, standing operating guidelines and rules and regulations for an assessment center process? For myself or the testing center? For the um, for somebody taking an assessment center. When you so were the- when you're taking, sorry, go ahead. No, go ahead. When you're preparing for the assessment center, uh, you're preparing to, you're you're actually going to be showing the assessors that you are ready to hit the ground running when you get promoted. Um, not having to be trained any further to meet those minimum standards of the position that you're testing for. Obviously, there should be some sort of developmental process following your promotion, but that you would be able to come to work the next day as that position and function successfully um, with your crews. So they're looking not just at these dimensions that we're gonna talk about, but also your um, policies and procedures. Some people call, um, you also have um, SOGs or FOGs, field operating guidelines. I think Aurora uses the term MOPS. So I think those are their, actually, I don't know what it stands for, but there's a lot of um, three-letter acronyms for all of the rules and regulations and your guidelines, how you're going to be operating when you hit the streets. 
the test will will test you typically on a written basis um, about the specifics of those SOGs and guidelines and policies and procedures. However, when you're doing your actual um, assessment center where you're in front of assessors, you need to show the knowledge that you have so that you are appropriately representing the department and following the expectations that the department has for that position. Thanks, Heidi. And it's also um, aware, you talked about how you were an SME, so it's important that somebody that's preparing for an assessment center, the actual assessment center, to know your hot topics in your agency and just the fire service in general. Um, Because I've been an assessor and even in my own agency where the agency had a particular type of a fire incident recently that did not go well, or they've... um, had some that haven't gone well like two, three years ago, or they had some kind of big personnel issue. And you might find that on your assessment center. So that's why. Absolutely. Yeah. That's why it's so important to state, um, to stay up to date on what's going on in your agency and um, the fire service in general, the hot topics in the fire service in general. And it's also important that that it just makes you a better firefighter. Or if you're a captain going for a battalion chief or such, it makes you that much better as an officer. Absolutely. And I think that if you know both of those, uh, you may know the, the hot topics in the fire service and um, or know what's as your how they relate in your department. And maybe you don't have any specific guidelines or policies on those hot topics. One of those right now would be what your, what is your um, cancer prevention protocols? So is everybody washing their gear immediately after every fire? Does everyone have a second set of gear to move into? That's not necessarily possible in all departments right now. It's definitely something that all departments are striving for in one way or another. Um, But if you know that that is a situation, what are the things that you're going to do in your position to help reduce cancer in, in the fire service, in your crews? So, even if your department doesn't have that policy, you can still have some thoughts on how to maybe implement a policy in the future um, and how to implement some just standard practices. So I think some of those topics right now would be um, the cancer, as I mentioned. And then the other would be probably hot topics of diversity, um, equity, and, and inclusion. We know that there's um, a lot of discussion about that, and, and we've seen quite a change in our environment recently with um, the Black Lives Matter movement and, um, you know, other racially divided situations that could cause problems in the firehouse. And so you may not have policies on that or active protocols of how to deal with that, but how will you keep your crews um, functioning together and moving forward for the mission that you guys have set out on the department? And Heidi, you Which just is made, serving the people. And Heidi, you just made a really good um two really good um examples of what's going on everywhere in the fire service is cancer prevention and um diversity, inclusion, and equity. And you mentioned um if you don't have a policy in your own agency, how can you do something to help prevent the cancer? As as well as diversity, inclusion, and equity. And if you're gonna throw out terms in an assessment center, make sure that it, it's pertinent to the question being asked and yeah. that you can back up what you're saying with some substance. Don't, because everybody I think probably knows, not even in the fire service, but 
in any workplace right now, diversity, inclusion, and equity is so important. So don't just say yes. it's important and just throw <laughs> yes. it out there and hope it sticks on something and the assessors are going to say, wow, they know what's going on because the assessors are actually trained in what you're being tested on and they're quite aware of what um, is applicable answers for that um, question. So another thing that Absolutely. probably since we hit on that hot topics in the fire service is, I think we all know that there's a, in a lot of agencies, there's a divide between the younger firefighters versus the older firefighters. Um, the younger generations coming in and some think that they don't have the same work, work ethic as the older generation. I mean, when I came in, Heidi, probably when you came in, people wanted that overtime. They wanted to work that overtime. Now the younger generation, they have different values. They want to spend more time with their friends and family and such. So that's another hot topic is younger firefighters versus the older firefighters and how as a company officer, can you make the two work together? And I think on previous Absolutely. shows, we've talked about that on previous shows about younger firefighters are like very tech savvy and such. And some of the older firefighters not be not, might not be as tech savvy. Uh, another thing that is training that suffered during COVID, a lot of agencies weren't able to, to do um, training in person during COVID. And so they're, now that's just kind of revving up. Um, yeah. So I think with all of these topics, Lisa, um, you know, these are topics that I think are general in the fire service and, and probably affect everybody's department in some way or another. Um, if you are not a craftsman, a if you don't study the craft of the fire service, um, then you're not going to be successful in representing any one of those topics. So, um, if, if one of those topics doesn't resonate with you uh, and, or you don't have any knowledge about that, do some just do some studying for your the good of yourself and the good of your crew. Um, and, and I think that if you that, that prevents you from the, from throwing those topics out um, and, and not having any substance behind them. But it also just makes you a little more well-rounded. And we'll talk about that when we're looking at those performance dimensions. Because like you said, the department has set down the, the values and the dimensions that they want to see in their officers. And um, in some war drivers, um, in some test companies, they actually will take the dimensions that I'm going to speak on and they'll write some specific examples for each type of testing scenario that they're talking about. Um, so if I talk about supervisory leadership, which I will in a minute, they'll actually put that right towards the tactical, what they're looking for specifically in the tactical um, scenarios that are specific to supervisory leadership skills. So being a very well-rounded study person in these dimensions and seeing how they can affect each different type of testing process um, is going to make you more uh, more successful. And I can't agree more, Heidi. And another one that everybody should be well-versed on is um, PTSD and mental health. And right now, mental health is oh, not there you go. an issue in the fire service. But if you think about, if you watched a, uh, the NFL game where the player had the cardiac arrest on the field, the first thing that the Buffalo Bills and the Cincinnati Bengals thought about was the mental health of the players. And probably, yeah. I mean, that probably would have never been thought about two, three years ago. So mental health, I mean, 
it, it's it's easy to throw it out there in an assessment center, but we've both talked about having substance to for it. I mean, that could be a question about, um, you know, how you're going to deal with somebody's mental health. So like Heidi said, you need to be a student of the game. You need to be versed in everything that's going on in your agency and the, and the fire service in general. So uh, we've talked about a couple of times, Heidi's going to get into dimensions. So what are dimensions? They're behaviors that are job related. They're observable, measurable, and specific to the position being tested. Like I mentioned before, they're also known as KSAs, which is your knowledge, skills, and abilities. And a lot of times every exercise, Heidi just mentioned um, about the tactical, what it's supervisory is. In, um, so each exercise measures one or more of a dimension. So Heidi, you want to go over here and go over some of the uh, performance dimensions that we may see in a um, assessment center? Sure. And at the end, we can talk about the different um, the different types of scenarios or um, assessment exercises that you might go through, such as the tactical. Um, but there's just a whole gaggle of those, so we'll go through those later. Um, the first performance dimension that we'll talk about is used pretty much in all of the different type of assessment um uh, exercises, and that's your supervisory leadership skills. Now, obviously, these are going to be specific to the to the rank that you're testing for. So this is a good example of knowing your job description and what the expectations of your company, what that what your department has for that rank, because it's it could be some simple as and I, what I'm going to be really discussing is I chose our, our captain dimensions because they're kind of the middle of the road. We have lieutenants, captains, and chiefs. Um, but it's a, you're being effective in directing and motivating others and creating buy-in among your staff or crews, um, but also creating a, a position of respect um, for all of the people that you come in contact. So if you're in a customer service um, type of scenario that you're actually showing and having a respectful relationship. Um, also, it's you're practicing situational leadership, so you have to modify at times the type of leadership that you um, leadership style that you may have in response to the changing situation or priorities, um, so that you can get the the goal or accomplish the task that is at hand. Um, being self confident, being assertive, demonstrating initiative, uh, identifying and dealing with with issues and problems. I mean, we're going to talk more about that when we get to problem solving. And then effectively using um, the chain of command um, as, as would be defined by your department. Um, also mentoring, training, and developing your crews. So those are just some general things on supervisory leadership. Do you have anything to add to that, Lisa? Um, just one thing, Heidi, you did talk about situational leadership. And a lot of times, um, when I've been an assessor a lot recently, one of the questions actually is, tell us what your leadership and management style are. And so if you're preparing to be to um, take an assessment center, or not even if you're preparing to take an assessment center, just in general, you should have an idea of what your type of leadership and management style are. Um, Absolutely. It, sh it shouldn't be like... Um, you know, I lead by example. I mean, you could Google leadership styles and there's numerous different leadership styles and lead by example. I mean, I just was on a recent assessment center and I think there was 10 candidates and all 10 of them said lead by example. And that's all they said. And so if that's going to be your answer, you need to provide some kind of substance. How do you lead by example? I mean, what do you do? Right. 
Do you like go in and or in your office and shut the door while everybody else is out there washing the engine or something, or I'm going to be out there helping wash the engine. So my um, take on that would be, you know, know what your leadership and management style are prior to taking an assessment center and just to be Absolutely. a better rounded person, know it just to be a better rounded person. And I think that when you study the different leadership styles, there's actually a few um, websites where you can go and it'll help you to kind of come up with what the name of your leadership style is. But when you read about them, you're going to find, or at least I hope that you find different leadership styles that fit you at different times. Because to think that we are one type of a leadership person, I think is um, ineffective and it's probably not true. You may strive for one type of leadership. I might want to be this type of a person, but you might not, that may not be how you lead. Um, One of the examples for me would be um, in my, for decision-making within my station on a day-to-day basis, I'm very democratic. I want buy-in from the crew. I want to know about the people, know why, and I want to come to a consensus that works for everybody. I definitely have a a list of priorities um, that we have to get done. But there is some discussion that they that people have input and buy-in on how we're going to get that done. And then, but then on the fire ground, I'm very autocratic. I'm very much, I will be saying what we're doing. And if, obviously, if you notice something that's a safety issue, notice something that I don't see, I only have two eyes, I expect that to be told to me, right? But that's part of those expectations that you set with your crew. Um, and then we've we've talked about all of those fireground scenarios prior to actually being there. So when I say make I, when I make a decision to do something on that more autocratic style, they know why I'm doing that. So it helps to when you have um, a good diverse leadership style, you're actually showing that you're willing and ready to take care of, you know, the, the, the tasks at hand, which is more than just being on the fire ground. It's managing your people and leading your people in your station. And just real quick, um, Heidi, you said um, dealing with problems. So I don't know. I mean, I've, I've heard, I had a, um, somebody that could always identify a problem but we never have a solution. They'd come to me with a problem, but never a solution on how, possibly how could we rectify the solution. So if you identify a problem, you, you need to have some idea of how you're going to solve the problem. It might be the right way. It might be the wrong way, but just it's easy to identify a problem, but have a solution on how to solve the problem. Absolutely. So that kind of goes to our next um, performance dimension of problem solving And some have decision-making intertwined with that, so we can talk about both of those. Um, But it's not just being able to identify the problem, but interpreting the facts so that you can determine what's going to be your appropriate action, but recognizing really what the root of the problem is. Um, You may see one thing that seems to be very obviously wrong, but in fact, the reason that that behavior is happening is because of something that you don't know about, some personal personal problems or, you know, we could go on with that. Um, so really investigating that, that problem and interpreting all of the data, gathering all of the information so that you can really interpret what the root of the problem is. Typically, people 
are not the problem, but a behavior is the problem. And so to when someone comes to you and says, well, he's always that way, you're, you're putting the problem into a person instead of putting identifying what the behavior is. And then you're, you haven't found out why that behavior is happening. So you really have to... Um, you really have to identify and search out these these various causes of the problem. Um, and then you have to be able to analyze that and come to a conclusion so that you can make um, a decision on how you're going to deal with that. And typically, we want to see um, appropriate solutions, but a variety of them. Because if something's not going to work, once you start talking this out with the people that you have the problem with, if something is not going to work, you have to have alternatives. Um, and it's they have to be alternatives that will all come to a solution. So, um, you know, engaging the, the people that have the problem or are experiencing the problem and then um, involving them in making that decision on how we're going to resolve it is really going to be um, a successful way of going about that. Let's see if I'm missing anything here. Like, so Heidi, just real quick. So on an assessment center, there's a, your it might be a personnel issue, which you mentioned we could talk, we'll go into the exercise a little bit later, but there might be a lot of fluff in what the information they're giving you. So like for yes. problem solving, they're like kind of also looking at what, to what extent, can the candidate who's the person taking the test use the information in order to evaluate and solve a problem? Because they might put Absolutely. a lot of fluff in that question that really is just trying to bait you into thinking it's the mayor's son that rang the doorbell and he wants to use the, the telephone. Well, it doesn't matter if it's the mayor's son, fire stations are public buildings and anyone should be allowed into the building. So it's kind of, you, you kind of mentioned that. Right. And I think um, so a good way to to wrap that up is having a firm position, making sure that you're able to make a decision and and be firm on that. Um, obviously, you can you can be firm. It's kind of weird. You can be firm and flexible because you can be firm on the decision. This is going to happen. How it's going to happen is where you're going to get the buy in. But if you are wishy washy about um about the decisions that you make or about gathering the information, then people are, then the assessors are going to see that you don't want to deal with the problem. And we all know officers that we've worked for that are wishy-washy on problem solving and decision-making. And, and that, that's a, it's a, it is a unique trait to be able to do that. Well, it's a difficult trait to develop. And um, so if you have, we talked about in, when we talked about inboxes, we talked about having a plan on how to develop a, a plan for a problem solving. And so I, I encourage people to have that, gather the information, see what's really wrong, analyze that, and then come up with some solutions, implement the solutions, follow up so that you can make sure that those problems are being solved. And if they're not, that you are going to quickly identify that and go another direction with that. So you have to have a firm um, demeanor about your problem solving and decision making dimension. Um, so I think the next one I'll talk about is interpersonal relationship, interpersonal relations, because it kind of goes along the same 
line. Um, and we, this is also can be um, some interpersonal skills. Um, so when we're talking about interpersonal skills, you're working harmoniously with others, um, promoting co- cooperation, um, having being sensitive to the needs of others, and showing awareness of others' feelings and needs, um, but and just really maintaining that amicable relationship. Um, when we get into some deeper parts of this in these interpersonal relations, we are talking about interacting with the culturally diverse population with tact and w- with diplomacy, um, being astute and studied with the hot button issues like you and I talked about, um, and then possessing that su- public service orientation and, and, is, and you're conscious of how the community is going to relate to some of these problems. Um, and then again, we can go into demonstrating that sensitivity, not just to the community, but to your crew and how it's going to relate to your crew and being able to, to um, seek out and understand people's needs without probing or arousing any unnecessary antagonism. Um, and then treating people fair and equitable and consistent. Consistency is a big thing for the fire service because we often have friends that are people that are working for us, but we still have to manage the consistency in our in, in our assignments of, of workload and also in our disciplinary processes. Um, so really it is this um, showing that you're cooperative in dealing with others and building effective relationships and that you function as part of the team. And you brought up the, um, the, when the, everyone's down washing the truck and you're holed up in your office, that's not functioning as part of the team. Now there are definitely situations where my crew will be down washing the truck and I'm up writing the reports because if I go down and wash the truck and then we get into the jocularity of being in the firehouse and then at two o'clock in the morning, I'm still writing reports. That doesn't bode well, but, but my, my, my job, I try to fill those gaps by getting that done so that I can participate in some of those team functions as well. Okay. Yeah. Um, Interpersonal skills is, is, is so important. The fire service, it involves community relations, customer service, community orientations, acceptance of diversity, like you mentioned, compassion, empathy, teamwork, and conflict resolution. So interpersonal skills is huge. You need it not only to be a company officer, but to be a good firefighter. Absolutely. And, you know, we're, you're, you're, a lot of people will say that my crew doesn't have to get along because when we have to go to work, we're going to do the job. And that may be true on a certain level, but if your crew gets along and if your crew works together in the station in cleaning and in cooking and in eating together, you're creating an atmosphere and a working relationship between each other that is going to show so much stronger on the fire ground and on customer service when you're actually treating the public. It just, it, it just is. All right, so let's move to organizational skills. Um, And this is just going back into that whole, how are you managing your day? Um, And we talked about this a lot when we talked about inboxes on the last show. And so having organizational skills 
what can make or break you as an officer, and it probably really makes or break you as a chief. Um, so you need to be able to delegate tasks and responsibilities appropriately. Um, you need to uh, establish an appropriate action for yourself to and for others to, to accomplish goals. So maybe you have somebody who's who's working with you to become an officer. You have to have a very specific plan for them if they want to be um, meeting their goals. And they have to be also make a part of doing that, setting those goals. Um, establishing, um, you have to have prioritize, priorities for your day, for your actions within your days. And then you have to make sure that you're monitoring, following, monitoring and following up on your activities and particularly on your personnel issues. Um, time man effective time management can be really difficult depending on the type of um, call load that your station is um, has. Um, at my station, my most recent station, we were quite busy. So I really had to take advantage of any time we were in the station to get the, the, the um, jobs done that we needed to get done and um, really be efficient with my time and with others time so they could also get the things they needed to be done personally like work at working out and cooking and just having some downtime and medics with a ton of reports to write but working with you are effective with your time management then you're going to be effective in your deadlines your time constraints um, and having a plan that's consistent from day to day so that your crews understand your expectations and how things are going to get done so that you're all successful. And, and going on that, we, we briefly talked earlier about why it's so important to know your departmental or um, your department's policies and procedures, rules and regs and such. And that kind of goes into the organizational skills. It's your knowledge of your organizational goals. You need What's your organizational goals and vision? What's the mission of your department? Um, What's the department and community resources that are available to you? If you go on a call, what what's available to you that's that, right. might, that might be within the um if you need like public works or knowledge of critical stakeholders such as community leaders and groups, knowledge of the department and community initiatives and partnerships, and knowledge of job related equipment that might be available to help you solve an issue that you might have. Right. So not only knowing your resources and your, but yeah, knowing those policies so that one, you know who to call when you need help. Because if you think you as an officer are now going to take on all of these roles and, and tasks and get them done, because I'm the officer, I'm going to do everything. It's not going to be very effective. So you have to be able to delegate appropriate tasks to people and so that things can be done efficiently and effectively. And sometimes they, they, they're not even within your crew. Like you said, sometimes it's a public's work, public works issue. Um, so um, another very elementary example of that is, um, is a, a, maybe a policy that your department has that's maybe outdated about working out. So we used to have an, a policy where you couldn't work out between 7 a.m. and 4 because those were business hours. And yet the our administration also was adamant that you worked out every day and we have a physical fitness test that we have to achieve. And so it took some pushback to help 
the administration understand that there are times in our day that are more open to be able to do the workout in the morning, for instance, and then we do some of the things that we would do in the morning that they expected from the office, that we would do those in the evening. And so um, working with your people, both above and below you to understand what your what you need to get done and when you can do it and being able to organize that. That is, um, and that inbox is all about your organizational skills and we'll talk about that later. So um, the next one really rolls into that and that's the adaptability and flexibility dimension. So this is being really a perceptive officer um, and understanding that that when things are not going right, maybe maybe perceiving that early so that you can um, identify that some change is needed, whether it's modifying your own behavioral style or your own approach um, or changing the situation, changing your priorities in your day so that everything can happen. Um, so being flexible is will, your willingness to explore different alternatives to find the most successful solution. You're respecting others, you respect their perspectives, and you were willing to stand by the decisions that you make in the interest of the organization. But at times, there may be a different way to still to still do that um, as long as you're you're making meeting the mission of the department. That one was a little rough, sorry. All right, um, should we move to professional demeanor? Um, let's go over tactical skills for a minute. So a lot of times okay. people are um, trying to prepare for an assessment center. And I know I have a lot of people that come to me, ask me to help them prepare. And all they think about is tactical. I want to prepare for the tactical. Let's practice tactical. Yeah. Let's tactical. And tactical is a very small portion of what you do on a daily basis as a company officer. We just went over numerous dimensions of why you need to be a well-rounded person and to um, do this, but tactical skills are tested on an assessment center. And they, what it is, is they are testing your judgment, your command presence, um, a clear understanding of your roles and responsibilities and managing emergency scenes or higher risk incidences. Um, the dimension is focused on the incident command and includes knowledge of tactics, knowledge of the incident command system, knowledge of department resources and equipment, and a commitment to safety. But you also are testing your oral communication. Can you articulate what needs to occur on the emergency scene? Can you identify what the problem is at this emergency scene and have enough resources on scene and, and, and coming by calling additional alarms and such to rectify this um, the problem and interpersonal skills. And a lot of people don't understand why interpersonal skills are part of an emergency simulator dimension, but it, how um, Heidi talked about it, your ability to work harmoniously with other agents or with other people. So if you go on a call on the highway or a mutual aid call, you have to be able to work in collaboration with the outside entities that you're going to be working with. What's on a highway is going to be the, the highway patrol. An outside entity is going to be the, the members of the uh, neighboring agency. Um, so that is why that is so important. And leadership. Can you lead 
lead, do you sound, how many, how many of us have heard you have to have a strong command presence? And some people don't understand what a strong command presence is, but if you're in an assessment center and you do a size up and then you're giving out, you know, the rules, the, to your crew of what you want them to do. And you say, well, I may have engine two go to the second floor and pull the the ceilings, or I might have engine three, get me a second alarm or a second water supply. The, you, the term may and might, you're not making a decision. You're like, I may do it. I might do it. I'm not sure if I'm going to do it. So a strong command decision is making strong decisions. It's, it's, I'm going to do this. I'm going to have engine two go to the second floor and start to pull ceilings. I'm going to have engine three get me another water supply. So when you're doing a tactical and the mays and mites, your score is going drastically down with the may and mites as you're, you're articulating what you're trying to accomplish in this tactical scenario. So Lisa, I think you're absolutely right. And so the, the dimension of command presence of, of scene management, right? You're, so you're, you're showing that your ability to to take all of this information in and make the correct decisions when you're um, when but considering all of the changing circumstances, what can happen in two minutes, twenty minutes, two hours. You're setting yourself up for success and you're making decisions quickly on changing circumstances. So you're using the proper terminology, you're issuing clear orders and commands, and you're taking decisive action. So when you are saying may and might, those are the those are two of the killer buzzwords. Uh, other ones would be engine three, go ahead and pull an engine three quarter. The go ahead and when when I'm told, or another one would be be advised, we have fire on the third floor. When you talk on the radio, your job of talking on the radio is to advise those who are listening. So you don't have to tell them to be advised. Engine three, we have fire on the third floor. Pull an engine three quarter to the third floor for fire attack. Be very clear, be very concise. Record yourself when you're making these, when you're practicing and see where all of these extra terms are coming from and so that you can stop them. That absolutely is, uh, it goes to the effectiveness when you are going through these assessments. And the scene, the fire ground tactical scenarios can be a couple of different ways. They could be dynamic where you're actually talking to other people on the radio that are coming back and giving you information and you're seeing a scenario on a screen that might be changing according to the measures that you have applied. So if you applied good measures, the fire is going out. If you applied ineffective measures, the fire is growing. There are other parts is having a what would be considered like a mildly dynamic setting where you're talking on the radio like you're on scene but you're not having, you're not necessarily seeing a whole lot of change and the people talking back to you may just be one assessor. Uh And then there's the static scenarios where you're actually saying, I would do this. This, I am going to ask engine three to go to the third floor for fire attack. They're going to pull the engine three quarter off of their engine and you're talking through it in a more static when you're preparing for your assessment center, your um, company or department should should dis- should tell you what type of um, scenario you're going to have so that you can best prepare for it. But being 
knowing your policies on how you're going to deploy your resources, particularly the first first level management, right? It's all about deploying your resources effectively so that you can keep that whole scenario into a first alarm for, for a lieutenant, second alarm for a captain, you know, second alarm plus for a battalion chief. And so know your resources and how you're going to de- deploy them and be very um, succinct about it. And, and you just kind of went into how some of them are, um, it's either static or dynamic, 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 dynamic. Um, a lot of agencies now are going away from where someone's responding back to you just for the purpose right. of that one key word could, if you're going down the wrong path and one of the role players says that the word differently than it should be said, it gets you right. right on the right path. So more and more agencies are going actually away from where they're having role players play dispatchers and yep. stuff for that purpose. But um, you still that need- way it's scripted and they get the exactly. and it gets the same information. The so. majority of them are like Heidi just said, it'll be a picture and it might state, you know, what are your pre-arrival considerations and what are you going to do when you're on scene and such. But um, for the tactical skills we briefly talked about, it's your ability to determine the strategy and uh, tactics and prioritize the assignments of the apparatus to mitigate the incident. So Heidi kind of mentioned it. Um, if, you're, if your department has strict policies on who's supposed to do what, like the second engine always drops the water supply and the third engine is always Rick or Rit. Make sure you stay with those during your assessment center. Um, and I think we're going to talk about, or we are going to talk about um, what constitutes some some automatic fails on stuff. So make sure that you understand your agency's policies and procedures. We can't um, talk about that enough in this uh, webcast that we're having here. What's the next one you want to talk I about? I think it's important. Sorry. Um, I think it's important well, along that line, Lisa, to write to let people know that those, we talked about the subject matter experts. Typically the subject matter experts are in the assessment room and they're there as a resource um, because your assessors aren't always from your department. In fact, typically they're, you, you won't know them at all. Um, so if there's a question on would this, would that be an okay tactic in your department that subject matter expert can answer that. And so if you go, if you do something a little bit different, um, the, they're going to verify, is that an okay thing to be doing in your, in your department? And what happens, what so, happens? Um, that's what those SSDs are there for. What happens is, yeah, more during the training, when the assessors are trained on the exercises, the SMEs will be there and the assessors will watch the exercise. And, and sometimes they'll even have like a mock candidate so that the assessors could see what a good candidate would look like as opposed to what a not so good candidate would look like. And the SMEs are there in the room while that's occurring to um, ask any questions and such of what is acceptable and not acceptable. Yeah. And a good example of that would be recently, I we just did a um, an assessment center that the one of the people used a term that's no longer used uh, and it's acceptable, but they would probably be talked to about using it because they're really trying to go away from that term. So that was perfect because we didn't fail them on that term, but we definitely made note that they needed to be more up to date on their department procedures. So um, 
All right, let's go to oral communication because it kind of goes right in line with that, with all of the different assessments that we're um, that we're talking about, and and this really just takes everything and rolls it into one. Um, so being able to speak articulately with effective with an effective manner um, so that your listener can actually grasp what you're saying rather quickly because you don't always have a lot of time. So being succinct yet effective. When you're um, in a role-playing situation where you're having to talk with another person, also your communication skills are shown by listening to what the other person is saying and understand and, and showing that you can understand what they're saying. Um, when you're making a presentation, you need to be speaking clearly and concisely. Um, you need to be persuasive and you need to get to the point effectively. You need to be using terminology that's appropriate for the situation and the audience. Um, and in, in the tactical situation, like we said, we're going to be clear in our communications, in our orders, and in our directions. We use the task location objective for our tactical stuff at my department. And it's just very quick. It's a very easy way to be very concise about what you want people to do. Also, when you are um, speaking with oral communications, I'll put in pr the professional demeanor as another type of dimension, but could be lumped into any one of these. Um, and it's, it's maintaining that professionalism, setting an example, being positive and having a positive outlook and willing to spend whatever time it takes to get a job done. Um, showing that you have pride in your work and that you're willing to continue to upgrade your own performance as well as the performance of others. And that you're on this continual learning venture. Um, it's showing you're dedicated to the job and the ideals of the fire service. So again, being a master of your craft, um, your ethical and practicing ethical behavior and holds up people accountable for their actions, including yourself. The other is to maintain composure, self-control, and controlling your feelings and emotions so they don't negatively impact the judgment and your performance. So when you're talking in oral communications, that professional demeanor part really comes across in all of your communications and really will show how you are going to not only effectively communicate, but, but actually how your actions are going to play out because that's really what they want to be able to see. And another dimension of that or part of that would be you don't talk too fast or you have distracting verbal mannerisms such as, um, yeah, you know, I mean, we all right. do it. As Heidi mentioned earlier, if you record yourself and listen to you, we all say, um, you know, I know. But after a while, it gets very distracting when you're saying, um, 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 um. And then um, you talked about listening to others attentively and with comprehension, um, a lot of people don't listen to comprehend. They listen to respond. So you need to be able to right something that you realize you do. You need to be able to listen to comprehend what someone's saying, not just to hear you hear what they're saying, but you're just ready to give them a response. So if you realize that's an issue that you might have, then something that you need to work on. And then some people don't understand why their score was low in an oral communication component of an assessment center. But I'm sure we all know people that say a lot, but don't say anything. So you ask them a question, <laughs> like you ask somebody a question and, and for 10 minutes, they're sitting there, they're, they're talking, they're talking, they're talking, but they've never addressed the question you've answered. You ask them. It's just a lot of fluff and, and hearsay. And, and so if 
you take an assessment center and for some reason you think you nailed it and your your score is really low on oral comprehension, did you really answer the question that you were being asked? Or did you just give a lot of fluff to it and talk and talk and talk with no substance? Right. Reciting your SOGs or your policies and procedures on some sort of role play, some sort of problem solving thing that you may have, reciting that SOG or that policy is part of communicating what you would do. But if you never get to what you would do in actuality, then you will not be successful. Exactly. And another reason why we stop and say, um, is so that our brain is continuing to process. So if you talk, I'm purposely talking this way right now, if you talk with some occasional pauses, then it gives you that time to think about what you're going to say before you say it and prevents you from saying, um, so it's just a lot of practice about present presenting. And if you say something wrong, if you correct yourself, it's okay. We're not perfect human beings. We're not bots. We are humans and we're going to make mistakes. You can go back and correct yourself. Even if you went down a whole line of of thought and then you realize actually that's not going to work my apologies that is not what i would do this is what i would do and hopefully you can come back and say i would talk this through myself before i'd present this to other people (laughs) you made a good point about the policies and procedures and stuff there's it might be on a role play or situational exercise personal issue where somebody will sit there and they'll say well we have a policy that you can't work out at two o'clock in the afternoon or you have to be in uniform from eight to five. And that's all they say. And they're thinking in their mind, they nailed this. They hit it on the head. They got the policy. They threw out the policy and such. But to get that higher score, you have to add substance to it. You can't just quote a policy and procedure, rules and regs, field operation guidelines. Absolutely. Your thoughts and your actions should be all based on supporting the mission of the department, which is your policies and procedures. They don't, the the assessors know what the policies and procedures are. You just need to to follow your actions and show that you also know what they are. Then they may come back and ask you questions. Why did you make that decision? Because our policy requires us to do that. Now that you should be able to show that very succinctly within your, within your communications but that takes a lot of practice. Exactly. The more substance you're giving to answers, the better your score is going to be. It it lets the assessors know that you actually understand and comprehend your the mission, vision, and values of your organization, your organization's policies and procedures and such, and that you understand them, you're able to apply them to a situation and then and then add even more information of how you would apply that policy and procedure to that situation instead of just quoting the, right. the policy and procedure. And the more articulate you can be, the more effective your message is going to be. So Heidi, did you want to briefly talk about um, writing skills? I know that in the in-basket, a lot of times um, there's writing skills. Um, A lot of assessment centers do not have writing skills on them as a, a dimension just because of the time it takes to grade it, the time it takes to what are you actually grading and such. Right. Writing skills, a lot of people don't understand why writing skills are so important for a even firefighter company officer, especially battalion chief and above. Um, 
We, I'm so sure we've all heard of public records requests. And if you write an email and it looks like a text message, the, the number four is four and the let you is not while you right. and then somebody requests a public records request. And now you have all these emails and they're floating around and the newspaper gets a hold of them and such. And now your agency is looking yes. like, how do we have these people in, in mid management and management positions that can't even write an email? So I know we did a pro um, a show on in baskets that would probably have some writing dimensions on it. Right. So in baskets typically will have a short writing, a short written communication um, aspect of that, which would be, for instance, writing an email to the chief describing the situation or a uh, letter back to a citizen uh, showing them that you're continuing an investigation and that you're going to get back with them, something to that effect. However, some organizations, mine is one of them, we will um, occasionally use a, a writing component prior to the um, the testing, the day of the test. So they'll a week before get an assignment of discussing a book possibly, maybe there'll be three questions for instance. And so they'll submit the paper and then the testing company will grade it. And really they're grading it on um, grammar, phraseology, sentence structure, your ability to actually answer the question effectively <laughs> because it is absolutely amazing how many people don't answer the question and get off on a tangent because they had a thought that's around the question, but they didn't answer the question. So making sure that you are expressing ideas, facts, and reasoning that it's clear and effective and that you're answering the question, that you're organized, that you use good grammar. If you have the opportunity to use Grammarly, I highly recommend it. I'm not sponsored by them, by the way, um, <laughs> but it's a wonderful program. Um, it's a program where I write many of my bigger reports, my fire reports, and then I delete it. But it then, but I can ensure that it's written with with decent grammar, and then I'm getting my, I'm being very effective in communicating the parts that I need to communicate. Um, Understanding how you should, how to write a memo, how to write an email with good uh, form and, and, and what the, um, sorry, I've lost my word for that, uh, the, the proper way of doing it, the etiquette, let's say the email etiquette for writing out to somebody that's not a friend, someone above the chain of, going up the chain of command, um, that it needs to be re reading legibly um, and, and, and they're also showing, it's also a way to see if you can follow directions. So if you're writing an email in within the um, context of your assessment center, you may, um, or maybe writing a fire report. I know in the battalion chief's test, they have a huge inbox and they have to do a number of written assignments. So yes, they're lengthy to grade, but if you are effective in your communications written, so what I recommend to people is when you have a writing assignment is to read it back out loud to yourself, but out loud, because if it doesn't make sense when you're talking, it doesn't make sense to somebody reading it. So clear, concise, effective. Exactly. And it, it, you you just mentioned it. it. It includes reading comprehension to make sure that you understand what you're supposed to be writing who you're supposed to be writing it to, because obviously you're not going to write a in-house 
if you have a form memo form to a citizen, you're not going to use that form to write something to the citizen. So we're almost out of time. So what we pretty much um, today, we just kind of talked about what an assessment center is, how they're developed, why agencies use them. And we went over all the dimensions and, on a future show, we'll actually go over actual exercises that you will find on an assessment center and what might constitute some agencies do have automatic fails for certain exercises in an assessment center. So we'll talk about that as well in our um, a, a future show, um, probably next month. But I would just um, like to thank Heidi for joining me today as we talked about an assessment center. Um, I hope that the information finds you find useful. Again, thank you to Fire Engineering for allowing us to be part of your podcasts. Thank you to all our listeners and members of Women in Fire. Remember to follow us on Facebook, Instagram, and LinkedIn, and to check out our website, womeninfire.org. Also, we'd love to see you at our leadership conference, which will be held in conjunction with FDIC. In April, on April 23rd, we will have a meet and greet that evening. And on April 24th, we will actually have a classroom sessions all day long at FDIC. Again, thank you. Thank you, Heidi, for joining me. And we hope you find this information useful.